This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, in Ireland and indeed in Britain, the public service broadcaster, in our case, of course, RTE, in the British case, the BBC, have sucked most of the oxygen out of the room and the news agenda over the past 10 days. However, there is something more important and more important to people and families, and that is the relative health and weaknesses of the two economies, the British and Irish economy. For example, in inflationary terms, Britain has an inflation rate of 8.7% and Ireland has a core inflation rate of 4.8% or thereabouts. Now, yesterday in Britain, Rishi Sunak announced some news to public sector workers. The teachers' unions accepted it. The doctors and nurses indeed vehemently rejected it. So the question of our economy versus the British economy is really interesting. They have an election and a budget to come. We also have a budget and an election to come. And it's a pleasure to welcome to the stand one of our most valued contributors by listeners and by the team here, and that is Chris Johns. Chris is the former chief economist of the Bank of Ireland and now a very respected commentator with his own podcast, indeed, The Other Hand. Chris, it is make-your-mind-up time for the Chancellor of Jishakar Hunt in London and for Pascal Donoghue and, more importantly, perhaps, for Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil, Minister for Finance in our coalition government. Chris, the announcement by Rishi Sunak yesterday has a backdrop, and its backdrop is inflation, 8.7%, an economy that's really struggling. Is it fair to believe or say that our own economy here is much healthier and that Michael McGrath and Pascal Donoghue are in much better shape than Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak? The contrast between the two economies couldn't be starker. And I don't think enough is made of it because, of course, I can remember, as you can, Eamon, when back in the 80s um, and further back, uh, Ireland was regarded as very much the poor relation and lurched from economic crisis to economic crisis, fiscal crisis to fiscal crisis. Uh, Your uh, finance minister is now trying to uh, balance expectations, manage expectations about how much money he's going to give away in the forthcoming budget. 
which may or may not be the last one before the election. It might be. We don't know. Uh, Mr. Hunt, sitting in 11 Downing Street, is in a completely different position. He's promised tax cuts ahead of our next general election, which will almost certainly be sometime next year. So this may well be the last budget before the British general election as well. And over here, there's no money. You have got loads of money. And the only issue is whether you're going to save it or spend it. You you really do have loads of money. And Britain really does have no spare cash. Yes, I, I saw, incidentally, Chris, last night, a figure for British national debt that's looming. It's over $2 trillion, which is shocking. And we, ours, I think, is... 200 billion. But I mean, of course, Britain is a bigger place with a bigger economy. But still, it's a rather frightening number, particularly for the Tory party, which prides itself on its ability to manage the economy. Yes. And there was a report, I think, that inspired those numbers being published yesterday from the Office for Budget Responsibility. That's the British equivalent of your um, fiscal council, fiscal advisory council. Each country these days has a a budget watchdog that tries to keep politicians honest when it comes to their spending and taxation decisions. And they actually looked ahead to the end of this century. They weren't just looking at current state of fiscal matters. They they went all the way to um, long after we'll have shuffled off this mortal coil, and they suggested that British debt will go over three times the size of the economy by 2070. Yeah. So, so that... Um, is is a number that needs to be taken with a pinch of salt. But the substantive point is that whoever wins the next general election, uh, it, the, the economy is in such a weak position overall, and therefore fiscally, because it's not generating the tax revenues that are needed to meet things like Sunak's public sector pay thing that he did today, and the wider needs of the public sector, both in terms of current spending on things like wages, but also capital spending on things like hospitals. The money isn't there. And the thing that everybody is ignoring in the UK, but everybody also knows, but we're not allowed to say it, is that whoever wins the next general election is going to be putting taxes up. And that's, that's the fiscal bind that we've got ourselves into. And there are lots of reasons for that. The UK economy, again, this week, we had data saying that the UK economy has yet again flatlined during the first six months of this year. Now, you could make the same remark about any six-month period in the last, really, quarter of a century. I exaggerate slightly, but the the UK economy has been flatlining, essentially, for well over a decade. And that has produced all of the problems that we've got now. We could have a long and involved discussion about why the UK economy is, is in trouble. You'd have to go back through economic history and all the different factors that drive economic growth. But the number one factor that we have no economic growth now is that this economy doesn't invest in itself. Both the public and the private sector simply don't spend money on buildings, on you know IT, the things yes. that other... If you compare us to you, Ireland, to the United States, Germany, France, we just do not spend on the hard stuff that is necessary to support economic growth. If you also add in Brexit which of course we're not allowed to because nobody's allowed to talk about Brexit, even if you're the Labour leader. If you're a Labour MP, if you talk about Brexit these days, you get kicked out of the party, as far as I can see. (laughs) So Brexit overlaid, the harms of Brexit overlaid with the fact that this economy hasn't invested in itself means that we are in a right mess, unlike you guys. Now, in contrast, we have 
as you said, the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, and they have been issuing warnings to the government. The two ministers, Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil minister in the coalition government, his predecessor, Pascal who is now the Minister for Public Expenditure, the National Development Plan, Delivery and Reform. But Pascal who was genuinely believed to be, have been a very good Minister of Finance, and now Michael McGrath is seen to be a safe pair of hands. However, there seems to be some disagreement between Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin, the Taoiseach and Tarnister, because the, those positions changed halfway through the coalition's period in office. And three junior Fine Gael ministers wrote an article for a newspaper, prompted, we're certain, I think it's been admitted, by the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, asking for a more expansionary budget. Now, that's putting pressure on Michael McGrath, who is uh, the Fianna Fáil Minister for Finance, and the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council cautioned against us being foolish because our economy is in good shape principally, is it not? You will correct me, I know, because of capital gains taxes and because of companies who manufacture here, although they are German or, sorry, American, or they're involved in pharmaceuticals or the tech industry or indeed in something that isn't guaranteed to last. What should we do here, Chris? What is the prudent thing to do? And why is our economy in so much better shape than the British economy? Well, if you've got a few hours, I can take you through some Irish economic history that would go back at least to the reforms introduced by T.K. Whitaker in the late 50s and of early course. 1960s. Yes. But we, we don't have time for that. No, but the, the IFAC, the Irish Fiscal Authority, they did invoke the crash in the noughties and said that we are in danger if we do spend too much, if the Minister of Finance gives too much, then we'll overheat the economy and we will be back where we were in the nightmare days. The difference then was the amount of exchequer money flowing in was from property tax. In this instance, it's from another tax that may just drift away, which is tech and pharma. Yeah. IFAC is right to, make, to issue these warnings. In, in a way, it's, his, it's the job of IFAC to... Uh, be prudent, to be cautious, to be fiscally conservative. That's why they're there. As I say, we we have one in in the UK, and they're there to keep politicians honest and stop them from doing to try and stop them from doing pretty dumb things. The sort of thing that IFAC is warning about was actually done by Rishi Sunak today. And let me just explain for a second. What he's done is that he has given public sector workers the six to seven percent pay increase, which the, which the independent review bodies. Have suggested there's been a will he won't he thing about these review recommendations for some time and he's finally made a decision but how they're going to fund this increase in government spending because that's what it is and this is the sort of thing that ifac is is worried about um is an open question because he said that what we're going to do is we're going to keep existing budgets the amount of money that we allow these departments who've got to pay these higher wages we're going to keep their overall budgets the same. So they've got to find cuts elsewhere. Now, there are two things to say about that. First is, 
there is only a very small chance that in the next 12 months that they would find those cuts elsewhere to fund these permanent commitments. So this is a permanent wage increase, yeah. which they've got to find out of not just this year's budget, which I don't think they will be able to, but every single budget in the in the following years. And in particular, a, the National Health Service appears yeah. to be falling apart. So where is the where will the NHS find the budget cuts to to uh, fund these these wage increases? And the answer is they won't. It just won't happen. I don't think it'll even get there this year in in the short time period that they they have available to them. Then, but the, the chances in future years, given the inc other increased demands on expenditure, forget about it. So it's an example of a permanent expenditure commitment being made by the government, which is the same thing as say a tax cut. And there being no obvious way of paying for it, yes. it doesn't have any credibility. And actually, it's dishonest, as well as being economically stupid. Now, you rightly say that in the same ballpark of mistakes, that's exactly what um, we in Ireland did during the property crash, when, or before the property crash. We had all these taxes flowing in from capital gains, from stamp duties, from wages, uh, income taxes on wages in the construction sector. There was a tax boom. And we made permanent spending commitments that when these taxes went away, yes. oops, we had no money. And IFAC is saying that the same thing is going to happen to corporation taxes because the 10 largest companies, you can name them, they are the Microsofts and all those other names that we know and love. They're not just tech names, they're also pharmaceutical yes. names, pay the bulk of these this corporation tax bonanza. Now, anything could happen to these 10 companies. They they could go, one of them or more of them could go bust. They could choose to leave Ireland. They could become unprofitable for reasons to do with their own business. So there are lots of risks. In the case of the American companies, Chris, isn't it the case that Donald Trump in particular was very keen to repatriate that money? Yeah, and, and that more generally, there are moves at the OECD level to try and uh, harmonize corporate taxation around the world so that where economic activity takes place is where the taxes are paid. And um, whether or not Donald Trump ever gets back into power and what he would actually do with with this, I'm I'm not entirely sure. So, that, but but you're right. There are threats from various sources, but there are also upside risks to this. Um, I would argue that the companies that are in that list of ten include those that currently, whose share prices are going through the roof. And the reason why their share prices are going through the roof is that people are willing to bet, correctly or incorrectly, nobody actually knows, that the um, growing boom in artificial intelligence will lead yes. to a profits boom for these companies, in which case it's perfectly possible that the corporation tax take in Ireland from these companies in the years ahead will actually go up, not down. So nobody knows, of course, what's going to happen, but it is nevertheless prudent to worry that the worst could happen. Yes. So you hope for the best and plan for the worst. And so what the finance minister is planning to do is create a number of funds to park the money for a rainy day and for infrastructure spending, which is all terribly sensible. IFAC worries that he's not doing enough of that, that they're going to bake too much into, um, I think it's uh, six, six and a half percent at the moment from the summer economic statement plans that, yes. that they are going to increase spending. IFAC saying that's too much. It busts their own pre-existing uh, self-imposed -impo limits and it risks making the mistakes of the past. I think they're right to issue those warnings, but you can understand perfectly well why the government's going to ignore them. He's got an election due in the next couple of years. 
and the normal dynamics of a general election, just as they are here in the UK. Jeremy Hunt, our finance minister, has tried to promise tax cuts, and he's rowing back from those promises of pre-election tax cuts now because there ain't no money. There is always the temptation for politicians is to juice the economy yes. before the election for obvious reasons. We can't do it because we haven't got any money. You can do it because you've got loads of money. The issue is whether or not it's prudent to do so. It's probably not, but you're going to do something anyway, and you have to recognize political realities. Yeah, and one of our political realities, Chris, is that the coalition is unprecedented between Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil. Fianna Fáil has always been the party that has been more inclined to spend and to indulge their desire for popularity by spending. Fine Gael has been the sort of, as I'm sure I, I'm telling you something you know, they've always been keener on financial prudence. But what's happened now is there's been a bit of a change. The Fine Gael junior ministers are arguing that prudence be damned. And it's the Fianna Fáil minister, Michael McGrath, who's trying to put the brakes on. This is pure politics. And I think yep. that there are two drivers of this. There's the, the first one is the one that I just mentioned, the traditional pre-election temptation to juice the economy. And in the past, that was done using borrowed money. The, the ironic thing now is that you don't have to borrow to, to give the economy a boost, no. to bribe the electorate with their own money, if you like, is that you've, you've got it. It's sitting there in the coffers of the Department of Finance. These, so these would huge... you be a, a man for prudence or a man for what we call flahulak here, for throwing a few bob at the people? I'd be, I'd be for throwing it at the people because I think the, the overheating worries are overhyped because that's another reason why organisations such as IFAC, but not just the Fiscal Advisory Council, the ESRI have issued similar warnings about the dangers of Irish overheating because of the capacity constraints and all the rest of it. Um, I think that there are lots of technical reasons why those worries are a little overblown. They're not completely overdone, but I do think that we, we need to worry about them less than we are in yeah, the past. Yeah, and it, it should be said that Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath appear to have a very good relationship, and Donoghue is a notably sensible and sober politician, as indeed is McGrath. So there's no volatile character in the room. And therefore we have, you would argue, a little bit of room to, you know, the people are suffering terribly with the housing crisis we have here. It's deeply shocking. It's shameful. And also with the health service we have, which is similarly overstretched and shameful but they can't be fixed in a budget, can they? These are long-term problems. Arguably, they can't be fixed in, in a full electoral cycle, at least historically yes. they haven't been. And I think that it's the same here in the UK. One of the things that frustrates people like me is, is the lack of honesty in political debate and that we actually need somebody, a leader, to show some leadership and stand up and say, look, these problems are really, really deep-seated because here too in the UK we have a real problem with house prices and housing availability, both for sale and for rent. And of course, I suspect um, we could have an interesting conversation on just how bad our relative to health services are. Yes. Um, and I, I that would be a very nasty uh, competition, I suspect. But in terms of the economies, Ireland is prospering relative to Britain, but then almost every, every other country probably is as well. Yes. After 13 years of Tory rule. 
Britain does have very, very acute problems. It has that worst inflation problem of almost any modern large economy that you care to look at, particularly in Europe, but particularly compared to the United States. Um, the the U UK's inflation rate is probably uh, on a, what we call a harmonized basis to enable us to do these international comparisons. It could be approaching three times what the inflation rate is in the United States. And you're looking at a country, the UK, where the underlying inflation problem on recent data has been getting worse in the United States, arguably on recent data, may not last, but at the moment it looks like the US has solved its cost of living crisis, has solved its inflation It's down problem. to 2%, is it, Chris, or 2 point something percent? 2.7% on that harmonized basis. And if you look at things uh, on that core basis that you mentioned earlier on, it's even lower. So it's looking pretty good. The, the U, all UK, U.S. financial markets reacted very positively this week to that news. For the for now, at least, because one of the things I expect for the future is that I think inflation is going to be quite volatile. But the story from the states is very, very good. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And Ireland is is sits in between the two um, on that same harmonized basis. the The headline inflation rate is six, just over six percent. Harmonized rate is about four point eight. So you're not doing as well as the United States, but you're doing a heck of a lot better than the United Kingdom. And of course, the, the Tories have a problem in particular at the moment. They're facing five, by my reckoning, five UK by-elections. It depends whether Nadine actually does resign or not, I think. Oh, yeah. She's promised to, hasn't she? She's promised to, but she Nadine has. Nadine Doris, that is. Yes. Former culture secretary who this time last year was threatening to make the BBC redundant and turn it into a subscription-only service and also to privatise Channel 4. But she's gone off into the sunset, it appears, writing column for the Daily Mail. Is that, that's probably the equivalent of the sunset. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Let me just move on, Chris, to a, a rather tragic story that emerged this week about the BBC broadcaster Hugh Edwards. He was really the face of the BBC. He was the person who announced the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. He was the anchor man for Charles, King Charles III's coronation. He was the anchor for BBC's 10 o'clock news at night, a very respected and credible figure who found himself for reasons to do with his private life in the eye of a storm, a storm generated by the Sun newspaper, largely it seems. This is a rather tragic story because his wife, a very brave woman who herself is a journalist, came out this week and said he was the TV journalist that there had been so much speculation about involving a relationship with a younger adult. Yes, it, as you say, it is a tragic uh, story. Um, Hugh Edwards is from a town called Bridgend, not too far away from where, where I grew up, and he has, has this uh, self-declared history of depression uh, mental illness, and, and obviously one needs to be very careful about everything that, that one yes, says. Yes, and he's now, he's now in hospital, according, yeah, according to in his a wife, very bad way. He's, Sorry, he's Chris. Not, he's yeah. in, he's in, in, a, in a bad way, as you say. It depends. One's reaction to this, I think, could fall into all sorts of different categories, and I struggle actually to make my mind up about how hard-hitting to be about, about, for example, the tabloid press here in the UK, because it there was an extraordinary episode on Newsnight the other night, you probably saw it, where um, Rod Little um, yes. and um, Adam Bolton, uh, both journalists, both um, uh, aging journalists now, um, both still in the pay, one either directly or indirectly, of Rupert Murdoch, um, defending the Sun. And yes. um, Rod Little described the Sun's response to all of this as impeccable. Now, even by Rod Little's standards, I found yes. that somewhat extraordinary, to say the least. Um, <laughs> He's a man with whom I'm not unacquainted. Indeed. He's a, a Millwall supporter that I once accused of running off with a young one. Yes. It was not one of my finest hours, shall we say. We, we've, However, all had, we've, we've all had the moment. Yeah. And I was wondering whether these two journalists were, had, had come to some kind of pact to support the, 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 the stance that the Sun had taken. Little described the Sun's stance as impeccable. Which, which, which was yes. an extraordinary word to use, given, given what they actually did. And there are all sorts of uh, people walking around saying that the Sun could potentially be the subject of a libel action. Some prominent journalists have said that. Some prominent lawyers have said that's going to be very difficult because the Sun has uh, never named this individual until his yes. wife uh, came out. So there's all sorts of legal shenanigans like it's happened around this. 
But in terms of what the tabloid press did, what the Sun did, it depends which lens you look at it through. If you look at it through quite a restricted lens and say, well, um, this clearly was of public interest, whether it was in the public interest as a story, I'm not entirely sure. And they were almost certainly right to have published something, given that they were contacted by the individual individual's parents, the, the young person that yes. was concerned, parents contacted them. So, but then the way in which it does it, and you, you know, the, the, frankly, the prurient way in which it prints always prints these stories, I think was indefensible. But then I examined my own motivation for saying this and say, well, look, I'm looking at that, thinking about everything else the Sun and other tabloid newspapers have done throughout their history. The Sun itself, not too long ago, used to publish near-naked pictures of 16-year-old girls. Yes. And so to, there's a certain amount of hypocrisy involved. And so if you, if you look at it in the context of, of Murdoch, the Murdoch press, the tabloid press generally, how it functions in the UK, you would say this is just one more episode out of a long number of similar episodes where the, these newspapers behave disgracefully. And that's the stance that I essentially take on that. Yeah. One story that is worth recounting here is it was well known a few years ago. There was a well-known interview published with, I won't name the newspaper. Um, the, these papers can be very litigious in which a, a journalist was asked by an interviewer, um, how do you feel about your job? that essentially involves destroying people's lives. And it was quite clear from the answer that the journalist concerned, the tabloid journalist didn't understand that the question. And so the, the interviewer uh, tried to explain the question in a broader context about what destroying somebody's life actually means. And the journalist concerned said, no, 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 no. I understand what destroying people's lives means, but I don't understand why you're asking me the question because that's my job. <laughs> yes, yeah, so happily we're not in that field of work at the moment. I just would say one thing, and it's important to to give some context to the son's pursuit of Hugh Edwards, and it is that we learned yesterday that Newsnight, which is of course the flagship evening late night news program, was itself investigating Hugh Edwards because some younger people in the BBC had alleged that they had been harassed and intimidated by Hugh Edwards, who's a 61-year-old man, as I pointed out earlier, a very respected journalist, broadcast journalist, the father of five children. And it is tragedy, really, isn't it? And just to confirm, Chris, the police in England have said that no criminality is involved at this stage. Yes, they said that, they said that nothing, they're, they're, they're closing the file on this unless some more complaints emerge. Though, of course, people are always free to, to make fresh complaints. For broader context, um, uh, whilst, of course, no behaviour like this is excusable, the behaviour itself has been deemed to be um, not criminal, the BBC receives hundreds, if not thousands, of similar complaints every year. Yes, and has to investigate or, or at least examine every single one of them, and and uh, so that's just some context for this. People are having a go at the BBC for all sorts of reasons. Another aspect of this that I think is worth mentioning, and it may well have been pure coincidence, but Newsnight, just a few days before this story broke, was running stories about sexual harassment in the in Westminster. Yes and featured uh, young women telling their uh, stories, narratives about the behavior of MPs and lords 
uh, from all sides of, of politics in, in the UK. And it was quite shocking. And yes. um, I wonder just how convenient it has been for the establishment to have this story. Yes, just as your media story has sucked the oxygen out of, out of all sorts of different areas of, of news in, yes. in Ireland. In here in the UK, this story has dominated the airwaves, not least the BBC airwaves, for for a week now. Um, and the, that story, that Newsnight story about sexual harassment in Westminster, has just just disappeared as a result. Just to end, Chris, our conversation on a note of levity, should we say? The first BBC, while all this talk about a, a mystery BBC personality broadcaster was flying around. The first person out of the traps to say it wasn't him was Gary Lineker. Who on earth could possibly have thought that Gary Lineker would do anything well? Indeed. That's a tough story. <laughs> Thank you very much, Chris. As always, Chris Johns, former chief economist with the Bank of Ireland and a very valued contributor to The Stand. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.